Hello and welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm Scott Orr. Thank you so much for listening um, and uh, and for subscribing. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe. It's 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 so helpful. I want to tell you before we get started, we have a great episode today, an incredible episode. It's a little bit of a long one, but it's worth it. Um, some incredible advice and and some great stories with 6131 Records. Um, and a little bit, uh, we talk a lot about Julian Baker and and, uh, and her release and how they how they came to to meet her and, and to release that great record. Before we get into the this episode, I want to talk to you about a new partnership we're starting. I'm really excited about if you are a DIY musician um, or an independent record label, chances are you've heard of Work Hard, Playlist Hard. They're a, um, a independent curator of, of Spotify playlists, and they're on all the other platforms as well. Playlists work, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a thing we're all figuring out, but the top tier of, of Spotify playlists would be official editorial playlists from Spotify themselves, staff members and curators who work for Spotify. The tier below are playlists that are often just as big um, that are curated by industry people and independent curators. And Work Hard, Playlist Hard are one of these independent playlist curators. I've I've pitched songs to them. They've featured songs from our label um, before in the past. And, um, and getting on these playlists can, can be great things and, and, and can actually generate revenue for, for your label or for yourself as an independent artist. Anyway, the founder of, of Work Hard, Playlist Hard, Michael, has written an ebook um, demystifying the or starting to demystify the, the culture of, of playlists and, and how, how to get your music submitted to, to tastemakers and to um, editorial playlists. We've partnered with um, Work Hard Playlist Hard as a way to um, get this book to our listeners, um, and and Work Hard Playlist Hard has has agreed to to help support our uh, our podcast, and so it's something that I think is going to be really great. And I want it, I want you guys to check it out. We've we've created a link called ebook.otherrecordlabels.com where you can go and check out this book. The book is ten bucks. Now listen. I, I'm I'm kind of uncomfortable doing this, um, but one of the I'm not really uncomfortable doing this when it comes to this book. Michael literally sent me a copy of the book just yesterday. I printed it off because that's how I read ebooks, and I was uh, I kid you not I was probably two or three pages in, and I was like, this is definitely worth it. There are industry emails, there are industry URLs that link you directly to where to go to get started. Um, when it comes to pitching, there's a lot of like, um, kind of interesting uh, little tips and tricks that you wouldn't have thought of before. Great ways to start relationships with people, interesting tricks on how to find some of these curators, how to find their emails. There's websites that I didn't even know exist that provide you with data and, and information on some of these curators. We've talked a lot about playlists and, and how, um, mysterious they are and how daunting they are for independent labels. And we've talked about how important today Spotify playlists are for independent labels and independent musicians getting featured on a, on an actual Spotify editorial playlist can, can be the difference of, of paying your rent or not. And some of these independent curators and third-party curators are just as big, if not bigger, um, some of their playlists. So, um, you know, playlists like work hard, playlist hard or, or indie mono, um, song picker, 
So, you know, this whole, um, this ebook is really great and I'm really comfortable pitching this and I'm very thankful to Work Hard, Playlist Hard and Michael and, and, and the fact that they've agreed to, to support the podcast. Um, so here's what we're going to do. You go to ebook.otherrecordlabels.com and for our listeners, if you use the coupon code other, just the word other, you get a dollar off. It's nine bucks um, for, for this ebook. And I'm telling you, I've, I've wasted $9 on far worse things, um, that have given me nothing in return <laughs> when running a record label. So please check it out. It supports us. Um, and I, and I really do think, uh, it'll help you. Um, today's speaking of help you, oh my goodness. Today I get to talk to Sean of 6131 records. 6131 records is home to Julian Baker. Um, and you know, that, that great sprained ankle debut that that uh, is so huge and so popular. And we talk at length about that. Sammy Lanzetta, Suburban Living, Joyce Manor. I love Joyce Manor. Culture Abuse. We talk with Sean today of 6131 Records, one of these labels that when I contacted, I was just praying they would return my call. And uh, sure enough, they did. Uh, uh, Julian, who I work with, did a podcast interview um, recently where she... Um, went to the grocery store. Like, I don't think she realized it was for a podcast. I think she thought it was just, oh. cause it was in like a batch of the interviews right. she was doing. And, it, and one of them was for a podcast. It's like, I don't know if you listen to celebration rock that like Stephen Hyden podcast. Uh, it's no, like, it's, it's like familiar. a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's sounds- like a pretty big deal. Okay. And like, <laughs> she's just like at the grocery store and kind of being like, not like attentive necessarily. Like yeah. she was answering the questions and like, you know, as if, if it was, for print, it would like totally a All right, I see. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was not. <laughs> and so it was really funny. So when she did, she actually did another interview with him. Um, he does a series about albums, and she did one on Bruce Springsteen with him. And, okay. Um, and I was like, hey, this is a podcast, so make sure that you're, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. not at the grocery store checking out like, right. mid podcast. <laughs> so, oh, that's so anyway. funny. Well, I don't know. That kind of adds to it a little bit too. Like, um, it's kind of the artist you know, uh, uh, being oblivious to that type of media thing. There's something about totally. it. <laughs> totally. No, the audio yeah, is a day gonna, in the life. A day in the life. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. so how did six, one, three, one come to be? And, and when did you first come to the label? So six, one, three, one started as a group of friends in California. Uh, Joey, who is the owner currently, um, and a couple of his roommates, uh, lived at a house that, the address was 6131. Okay. And um, they were just involved in music, had worked at a couple of different labels out there. Um, they all kind of had been in bands or done stuff like that. And a band that they were friends with from Seattle called Sinking Ships was in town staying. They were kind of notorious for having people stay at their house and, you know, bands come through on tour or whatever. Right. And they were just talking to that band and the band said, hey, we need this CD that we have put out the label that had done it, um, was not able to keep it in print for whatever reason. And would you guys be interested? You guys should start a label. And and they all said, "Uh, okay, we'll do that. (laughs) And so, so they did. And, and it really kind of was born out of that. I mean, it's sort of almost truly a, a bedroom label in the sense that it was like a hobby for them. And, and they put out their friends bands and the way I, first got involved was the fifth release on the label and the first full length that they put out was for a band called permanent who were a hardcore band from richmond virginia where i had just moved maybe a couple years prior and um 
and so I was just friends with those guys and, and kind of got involved with them more as just like a fan and a friend. Right. And ended up going to California with them as like a roadie for this tour. And we stayed at 6131. I met Joey, who is the owner, and um, just kind of got involved. And so I helped out with that release a little bit. In I had done publicity previously, and so I kind of helped out with publicity for that. We stayed in touch, worked on some other stuff throughout the years. And then basically it got to a point where just through our friendship, we realized, oh, there's a point at which the label could be a real thing, like hmm. kind of stop being strictly a hobby yeah. and become sort of more of a try to be a real label right. you know, as much as for whatever that means. Right. And, and uh, yeah. And so, so at that point we kind of had a conversation and I was sort of between some different things. And I was like, Hey, like I would really love to get involved. Like I, I've obviously been a fan of what he's been doing for a long time. Um, and you know, as it evolved too, like a lot of the other roommates kind of went off and did their own thing because it wasn't a serious thing. You know, it wasn't yeah. like their, their jobs. Or anything. Sure. And so he was kind of la- last man standing and really needed help. And so, I got involved and, and that was about, I was trying to figure it out the other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first record that I helped kind of actually bring a band to the label and then, and you know, I guess sign and then um, put out the record was Strife. Okay. Um, when we did the Strife LP and that was, I think like the 48th release or something. And we're now well oh, wow. over a hundred. Wow. So um, it's been, it's been a, you know, I've, I've been involved for at least half of the releases kind of in a full capacity and and that's been about seven years maybe oh okay it's 2011 2010 yeah yeah and then and the label has just turned is just about to turn 11 so oh, okay um so for the bulk of the time I've, i mean i've been involved more years than than not at so, this point right <laughs> so you um you're saying you're only 20 years old is that what you mean <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so you're okay so the label was started in california but you were you had just moved to richmond so how did you move operations to richmond and you guys run out of richmond essentially or yeah so we've in the in the course of me being involved um one of the things that that happened was we decided like we need to centralize our operation, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense to sort of have everything piecemeal and, and all over the place. Yeah. And the other thing that ha- that was happening around that time is Joey got married okay, and his wife uh, works in academia. And so basically what that means is that she sort of is at the beck and call of where the jobs are, right, you know? And right. so um, they were living in California, living in Southern California um, and she had graduated. And so they were looking for jobs. She's originally from the Boston area. So, they found, she found a job in Boston, fortunately, um, as opposed to like, you know, some random place that they have no yeah, connections. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, and they had just had a kid. And so they were kind of like wanting to have some, you know, a place they could sort of call home. Mm-hmm. So they moved, they moved to Boston. Well, it was kind of fortuitous because right before all that happened, we started moving all the operations to Richmond and I'm, you know, a married guy. Yeah. I have roots here. My wife's family's from here. And so oh, okay. we were, we were able to sort of like, centralized to Virginia to, to Richmond um, in a way that, you know, also costs of doing business here are a lot lower than in California. Right. Right. And so, you know, we can do some really great stuff, have warehouse space, do all that here. I'm kind of here more firmly, more permanently than he is with kind of wherever he's going to be. Although he's been in Boston for a number of years at this point, but would you say, um, so you guys don't have like a Boston office per se? No, no. I mean, he just kind of works from home up there. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So how did you come into the, 
into the music business? Like, where did your interest in all of this start? You said you were managing bands, but like, how far back does it go? Um, I mean, high school, essentially, like okay. it, it's kind of a, a fluid path and it's hard um, to sort of pinpoint like, oh, this is the point where it stopped being a fandom thing in a, and it became a work thing. Like right. that's a, that's not a, there's not a hard line there. I mean, when I was in high school, I started writing zines. I played in bands and stuff and wrote zines and through doing the zine particularly, um, and, and a paper zine, um, I started to develop relationships with labels because a thing I figured out was that if you send your zine to labels, with reviews in it, they will then in turn send you CDs to review. <laughs> and so, um, That's it was cool. great, you know? And yeah. so I was like 16, 17 years old, just getting, there was a point at which my mom was always just like, you know, amazed at how many <laughs> You're just getting CDs free would just show up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so much so that I like, I had a PO box when I was like 16 years oh, old. Oh man, and, That's amazing. Um, and so I was just, you know, and, and this was like back in the nineties, so you would get CD promos, you know? And so, yeah, I was just like doing that. And I mean, that, that was awesome because it was not only was I getting exposed to tons of music that I would have otherwise not heard as a, you know, 16 year old living in South Florida. Yeah. But also I was developing relationships and I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what was happening, you know? And so, um, it's been funny as I've like moved through music, you know, in the, in the subsequent almost 20 years of being around stuff, like how much that stuff, like, uh, you know, like people will be like, Oh, your name's super familiar. And I'm like, well, I used to write this zine and they are like, no, that's it. That's totally it. You know? And no it's like way. pretty wild. And so how did you distribute um, the zine back then? Like how I mean, far just, did it go? It, not very far. Like, I mean, literally I would make photocopies, um, of it at, you know, whatever place I could get them the cheapest or, or free. Really? And then, and then just, you know, pass them out in Florida. I mean, there were some people I would mail them to, but it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't making more than like, you know, yeah, the know, 200, three three hundred copies at the most. Yeah, the label you know, still thought to send yeah, you CDs. I mean, was, the nineties was wild. The nineties were <laughs> yeah, a wild time. Right. They had a big budget. And, <laughs> and I yeah, and I remember. I mean, so what ended up happening was is a couple of those labels hit me up about doing publicity, and they were like, "You should be our publicist." And I was like, "I don't really know what that means." Like, I've oh, been the recipient goodness. of those efforts, yeah. but I've never really done it myself. And so, I was twenty. I was in. I was in going to college and. I'd been doing the zine for, at that point I had transitioned from a paper zine to an online zine Okay. when we called them web zines before the term yeah. blog was even a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and just did that for a while. And, um, you know, it just, I had these relationships and so I, I started doing publicity and, um, yeah, it was kind of a weird thing where I transitioned from like being the recipient of all of that stuff to doing it myself. And so I kind of got into doing publicity at the tail end of the CD promo era and we would send out 300 CDs. You know, that oh, was sort man. of normal was that you would say, okay, well, here's 300 people we're going to mail a CD to. And so when you're talking about bands that have sort of a narrow audience, that's how you end up with the kid who has the zine that he only makes 300 copies of because like there just maybe isn't 300 people that write about music that care about whatever the given thing is, you know? And so um, it's great. I mean, yeah. you, I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a value in that that, you know, nowadays it's like with digital servicing, you can do it, you can send it to everybody, you know, anybody that wants it, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. anybody can get it and that's great. And that sort of democratization of music is great, but I think it's been really interesting to see that shift because there was definitely a point where like you almost kind of had to earn it to get onto those lists oh, and yeah. 
you yeah. know, that doesn't doesn't necessarily exist anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm from the same the same era. I was in high school in the in the late '90s, and and I I kind of think like it's it's hard to remember that time. It's hard to remember. I've talked about this on on other episodes, but it, like hearing about a new release coming through print, like you know what I mean. Like that's such a foreign thing to me. Is like getting a magazine in the mail and being like, oh, so and so has a record coming out next month you know whereas now we hear about it like the second that they've announced and sometimes we hear about it as soon as it's announced you know well and, and i think that notion of like records would come out and you wouldn't necessarily know they were out you know yeah. like you would yeah like a record would come out and you would be at the record store and be like oh you know there's oh this new gosh. record from yeah. a band i love that i had no idea was even happening what a great and, feeling <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and i feel like now it's uh. like i mean I, I woke up this morning and the first thing i did was you know, I knew there were certain records coming out today that I was interested in. Yeah. And and I'm like literally laying in bed on Spotify, like yeah. pulling them up, putting them on the Sono speaker, yeah. you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's such a different experience now. And I mean, it's great. Like I said, it's, it's the, the net benefit is great, but it is definitely a different thing. And, and I think the thing that comes up a lot for me is people reading thank, thanks lists, you know, like you used mm. to go through and be like, oh yeah, you know, oh, well I, I love propaganda. So Propagandi thinks all of these bands and probably two thirds of those bands are garbage, but like, right. I totally remember that. Yeah. You know, but, but you would listen to every single one of them. You buy every single one of their CDs because it's like, well, this band I love talked about them, you know? And, and, and yeah. you know, that, that talks about like, to me, that points to streaming services really need to do a better job. Maybe they don't care, but they need to do a better job at kind of mimicking that experience of the liner notes. And I know that they've just recently announced crediting producers, I think, or musicians. I can't yep. remember. And like, um, like remix DJs and stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. But like, even just like recording studios and engineers would be awesome to hear about, you know, that kind of stuff. And the thank yous. But yeah, I do and remember that. As, and I'm, I'm a Spotify user. I'm a kind of like loyal Spotify user okay. um, in a way that a lot of people in the music industry maybe aren't. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and I think that they do a really good job of like, they're, they've really tried to be better about the discovery aspect, which is kind of what I love about oh, it. Oh yeah, like, for sure. But, but there is definitely room for improvement. And it's interesting even between the different like desktop versus mobile app, like what information you can kind of readily see. Mm. And it's super interesting. Like a thing I do often is, you know, you scroll to the bottom to look at the copyright line to see what something, what a label something's on, you know, yeah. and it's interesting oh, yeah. that that, that information is there yep. and it's actually, there's ways you can search in Spotify by label that oh, isn't really? super readily available, but like, Oh, Google that'd be it. great. People listening, Google it. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Um, that would be awesome. And it's super helpful because then you can just sort of like look and say, okay, what this is a label I love. What what else is there on this label? Yeah, available sure. on the service and um, yeah, and so it's cool. Like th that that functionality is kind of in there. It's just not necessarily readily. Yeah, available, I didn't know that. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's such an interesting time to me. I think it's it's like a it's a perfect um, trade off. Like I honestly think that the the new the new way of, of consuming music is really convenient, but it's also you completely lose something about what we enjoyed in the '90s and the early 2000s. I mean, I, I know the same feeling of like um, I've talked about this before, but about like you know in the record stores how they would have the wall of CD samplers, you know, like those yeah. disc mans hanging on the wall. And I mean, I've bought so many cds back in the early 2000s for, from those samplers just sitting there with the headphones on listening for like 20 minutes and being like you know what i'm gonna dive in and spend 20 bucks on this record 
And that just doesn't happen anymore. And that's a great experience. But at the same time, like you said, every Friday morning, pull out your cell phone and download like all 20 records that would have been in those CD players and listen totally. to them whenever and, you want. <laughs> I mean, even like the experience of CD samplers that would be like promo items that you would pick up as you yeah. walked out of the record store. They would True. throw in the bag with the things you were buying. You know, it's like... They worked. Yeah. I mean, Punkorama was kind of the first experience I had with that. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Sort of, you know, kind of... I mean, I, I was probably 15... And I got Punkorama, the first one, you know, and like it was 30 like tracks on one CD. Yeah. And I mean, and it's every, I mean, it, you know, it's a pretty narrow scope of stuff because it's all the Epitaph stuff from that time. But like Epitaph was killing it at that time. Yeah, you know, yeah. There was just so much great stuff. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot of bands that it's funny how those sampler things come back to you. And like, I know that like, so I grew up in Florida and, um, no idea records was huge. I mean, it was like a, a monolith of a label, you know, kind of in the DIY punk scene when I was younger, okay. and it obviously became even more than that. I mean, it, they they grew and be, became a a label that you know did bands like Hot Water Music and Against Me and all of that. Oh, but like cool. before that, they were sort of the mo the most successful thing they'd really been involved with was like Less Than Jake. Right. But like they had such a diverse interest. I mean, and, and throughout the life of that label, they've had a very diverse interest. But I think they were that was a really formative thing for me to get those samplers and be like man, there's a band that's a grindcore band next to a ska band yeah. next to a, you know, indie rock emo band. I mean, it was just like, that was sort of the, the way those things work. And it, it helped me have a sort of broader appreciation of music beyond just like, you know, I think, I think the problem with the streaming stuff now is that like, y you can be like, well, I like X mm. and I'm only going to listen to these kinds of bands. Mm. And you get really these like, and, and what ends up happening, I've seen, is that people who are like that, not everybody's like that, fortunately, but people who are like that will listen to a, a one type of music, and then they're like, okay, I'm over that, move on to the next thing, and mm. then listen to one type. And they just jump from genre to genre instead of developing this kind of broader appreciation for like the whole of music. Mm, you know? and I think, totally. Yeah. So do you it's, think it's super of, interesting. When, now you're running a label. Do you think about those compilations of your childhood and how you as a kid um, loved a certain label and, and like, do you think about that? Does that impact how you run your label? And, and I mean, do you think that we should be developing labels that, um, that fans, you know, become a fan of that label for their aesthetic and for their, their tastes? It's, it's interesting because I think, you know, this whole conversation is dangerous in that it, it can really quickly, those of us who are a little older, it can very quickly sound like back in my day, you know? And I think, <laughs> yeah. I think if it, as, as, as somebody who works in music, like that's a dangerous territory, you okay. know, like you want to avoid being kind of like overly nostalgic for the way things used to be. Uh, I kind of famously had a conversation one time with somebody at a bigger company that said to me, well, we do it this way because we've always done it. And I was just immediately enraged. You know, I was like, <laughs> right. That's why you're, failing you know genuinely like that's why you're yeah. failing at, at what you're doing why major labels are just like clamoring to figure out how to move forward and i think they've start, started to i think they've really started to to, to listen to younger voices mm. to to innovate on how they work um i think as far as from a label perspective yeah it's great it's ideal and you look at labels i mean there's a number of labels that that as a you know i i look to as like a fan of of those labels. And I'm like, I want to you know, mimic what those labels are doing. An example being like sub pop or I think polyvinyl is doing some really great stuff lately. Right. Totally. You know, 
those are, I mean, Matador, like those are all labels that, that to me feel like they've been around for a long time. They've weathered a lot of trends. They've been at the forefront of some of those trends. Um, and that there's never, like, you can't look at any of those labels and say, well, this is a band, especially I think in Polyvalent's case, maybe at one point you could, but for most of these labels, you can't say, well, that's what a band on that label sounds like, hmm. you know, like, like there's obviously eras, you know, and, and, and yeah. I think sub pop is a good example of that where you have like a grunge era and then you have a not grunge era, right. you know, and there's like yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. And, and then, and then now it's just sort of like the, the doors have been thrown wide open, but like, I, I think I appreciate that because it makes me again, back to that notion of like, I like more than just one kind of music. Yeah. You know, it's like, I like Nirvana, but I also like the postal service, you know, and I like iron and wine and I like, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that yeah. just having that, that broad sense of things is, is really cool. And so I think from a label perspective, that's one piece of it. I think the other thing is, is that listeners nowadays, especially younger listeners don't know what labels things are on. Like, it's just not how they in, in, right. ingest music. Right. And so if you're going on Spotify and listening to the new record of whatever, you're not aware of what label that's on. And so it's funny for us sometimes to be interacting with people who are younger, who, who predominantly consume music digitally, who say, oh, I really love this record. And you're like, yeah, I put, I put that out. <laughs> and they're like, what's your label called? And you tell them and they're like, oh, I've, I've never heard of it. Yeah, you know, and, right. it, and it's, it's, I mean, it's cool. I'm glad that they've heard of the record. Like, that's the most important thing is obviously that they hear the music. Secondary to that is being aware of the label. But yeah, it's crazy how that's not those affinities for those connections that, you know, we as hmm. older listeners have, those people don't have. And I think, you know, we have it less than even our, our parents did, where they were just like, you know, oh, like, you know, this specific label or whatever. Like, it, right. I think it just has gradually faded out. And, yeah, as a label, I would love to have more of that be the case, but I, I just don't know that it's a reality in the context of what's happening right now. So yeah. how does that like dictate your social media efforts and some of the branding and, and promotion of your label? Well, I, I think it, it, I mean, it definitely is an influence. Like, I think you have to be, you have to sort of beat people over the head with the notion of like, hey, pay attention to us as a label. And I think <laughs> right. there's certain labels that, you know, people buy into that. I, I think my fear is, is the labels I see be the most successful oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes at sort of having that brand loyalty mm-hmm. are also very genre narrow. Right. And right. so, you know, again, it's those fans who are like, well, I love this type of music. So I love this label and that's great. I mean, it, but, but I find that that has a short life span, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that it, that it, it expires it really limits at some you. point. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and those fans, as they, as they become fans of something else, leave you. You know, they're no longer loyal to your label. That's a good point as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So you came into the business in the, in the late 90s, and, and you, you, were, you, know, you came in through this printed zine thing, which, which is hilarious. But what, if you were to, to want to get into the music business today, what path would you take? Where would you start if you had to start all over again? I think that... that if if I were the age that I was, if I was you know a, a eighteen year old now, yeah, yeah, and I was or you know a twenty one year old that's like leaving school, like mm-hmm. leaving college. I mean, the thing I always say to people when they ask that is, is be a fan. You know, find right. the places where you are genuinely a fan. Like the worst thing that could happen is somebody who says, "Well, I want to be a manager, or I want to be a, a run a label, or I want to do this." 
and they approach it as like the same way that you get a job as an accountant or, you know, working a desk job of any kind. Hmm. Like, it's just not that thing, right? Like, so much of music is about community and about, um, you know, genuinely being a fan of things. Yeah. And I think first and foremost for us, like, the bands we work with, we're fans of, you know, and the way we find the bands we end up working with on yeah. the label side are, are, and I mean, even for me and all the other things I do, fandom is the core of that. And mm. I think one of the things that I, I find that I do that's maybe somewhat different than some other people is that I try to be apparent about that. Like I try to be very transparent about the fact that I'm, um, you know, like a fan, like I'm not afraid to be like, no, I really like your band. It's right. awesome. You know? And I think a lot of people that, that, there, there's this sense that like if you're you know running a label or you're a manager or you're a booking agent or whatever you have to sort of pretend like nothing phases you right. and, I, and i just think that like it's okay to be a fan and so i think if you're young and you want to get into doing music stuff like being a fan and being present and being excited about the people around you and, and being a part of a community and not in a sort of like disingenuous way where you're just trying to have it be a thing that you're going to benefit from, but I think genuinely plugging into a scene will is a really great way to get there because I think hmm, that's a great things point. that things that will happen is that you will see where the needs exist mm -hmm. and you will understand what what your skills are ver in comparison to those needs and and you can you start to fill those holes. So if you're you know I mean in the case of six one three one, it's like if you're friends with bands. And a band comes to you and says, well, we need this CD put out. How do we do that? And you say, well, you know what? I've got, you know, the money to spare. I'll do that. Yeah. You know, then, then you start a label and it's like, next thing you know, 10 years later, you're running a label. You yeah. know? Um, I, I think the other piece of that too is the, the level of patience that, that is required. And I think so, so often you see people who want, in, you know, in this day and age, that they want things to sort of be done immediately. Like they think, mm. well, I've... I've put out three records. How come I'm not, you know, distributed by the biggest distribution company or, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of on everybody's radar or, or whatever that is. And I think understanding that, that even though we do live in this like kind of immediate digital era, stuff still takes time. And there's still sort of that human aspect of like development that exists. You yeah. Know? Oh, so, totally. Yeah. I think that is great advice. And as you're saying this, I, I think about people in my community, in my city who have done that, who they've started at shows in the front row every, you know, Wednesday nights, Monday nights, and they're in university and they come out to a show and, and they're fans of the bands. And then all of a sudden they're volunteering at the college radio station. And, and, you know, now they're like respected advocates of, of music and, and, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean that's a great point. You can't just start a blog and and expect to be um, a really well respected tastemaker. I, I think that's a I think that's a really good point. I mean, I never I never really thought of it that way of of just starting with fandom. And I think that it, it like I said, it if you're genuinely plugging into a scene and you're genuinely a, a member of a scene, whatever that scene is, whether it's you know indie rock or jam bands or hip hop or EDM or whatever it is. It's interesting because the people who are most respected in those scenes are those people who are involved. And and mm. it's and it, it like I said, it it's interesting how the needs of those communities will become apparent to you as things you can fulfill. You know, and yeah. Um, yeah. And so great. in you know, and so in my case it was like 
I was just friends with labels and they were like, well, Hey, we need a publicist. And I was like, I don't know how to do that, but I'll try. And then I was a publicist, you know? And so I think it wasn't this like epiphany moment for me where I was like, you know, I really want to be a publicist. (laughs) Right. You know? And and, and I, I say it all the time. Like, I mean, the other thing about music is at least for me, my experience has been, it's been a hustle. I mean, I'm 38, I'll be 39 this year. I've hustled for my entire adult life to make a living in music. But the trade-off is, I've gotten to work in music for that long and and (laughs) it's, it's fantastic. And so I think that like that, that ability to, to sort of be like, you know what, like I would have been the guy who had a desk job and was like daydreaming about, you know, music or writing reviews in my spare time or or whatever that was. So it's like, I just kind of found a way to like make my hobby and the thing I care about the most in life, my job, Hmm. you know? So this mentality that you have of um, being a fan of the artists first, I want to ask you about when you're signing a new band, um, and and these are maybe bands or artists who are a little weary about getting into like a contractual uh, relationship with someone. How do yeah, we you, encounter that a lot? Yeah, do you? Okay. <laughs> How do you um, communicate to these these bands that you are um, you're an advocate, you're a fan first? Well, I think, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's really hard because, you know, I've had this conversation even like yesterday, I was having a conversation with, a, with an artist that we're talking to. And, and you know, it, it, so much of the type of music that we find ourselves being interested in, probably as a result of kind of our origin points, hmm. are bands that are finding themselves at the, the precipice of transitioning from DIY right. to... right something more, you know, right. and, and as a, as a matter of just the, where the label has, has grown to, we are really not, I mean, we have a lot of DIY ethics and we operate in a very DIY way, mm-hmm. but I think to call us a DIY label would be a misrepresentation of what we really are, sure. you know? And yeah. so, um, and so I think it, it's an interesting thing to sort of find where that fits, you know? And I think there are bands that the, the prospect, I mean, I've seen it, not just even with trying to sign me into the label, but in other aspects of things, you see bands where they get to that point and then it's like the two choices for them are stop being a band or take it seriously, hmm. you know? And, and, totally. and there's like, you kind of get to this point where you paint yourself into a corner of like, Oh, this thing I did just for fun, people really like. And so what do I do with that? You know? And yeah. I think for some people that's just not the, their, their goal with it is never to be, on a bigger label to see it succeed for it to become their career. I think if that's not your path, that's a really challenging thing to confront. And, you know, I think the smartest people I've encountered with that have been the people who say, I just kind of want to keep playing songs and I don't really want to be on a label and that thank you for your interest, but no thanks. Hmm. And, and I respect those people. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't begrudge them that decision because I think that's wise on their part. Um, I think from our perspective, it's about showing them, in those conversations and, and, and as you meet people and as you're interacting with them, letting them see that you are a fan, that it's not just, you know, that you're a, a business guy yeah, yeah, who's yeah. like, Oh, this is the hottest new trend. And I'm trying to like monetize. The right. hottest new trend. I think, <laughs> I think trying to make it clear to them that like, you know, we have commonality and, and we probably, even though I maybe am more than likely twice your age at this point, <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, or, or close to it. Yeah. Like that we have some <laughs> common ground and we probably see the world in a similar way. And, you know, and, and that helps. And I think, again, you want to do that in a way that, you know, it, 
even explaining it feels a little bit like I'm explaining a strategy for convincing somebody of something. Right. And, and I think it's, you have to be really careful that it doesn't become that, you know? Like, yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> um, you know, cause it, cause I, I mean, I, I genuinely am a fan of stuff. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I was, I was nerding about the Smiths with a band recently, you know, and it's yeah. like, the Smiths are my favorite band. Like I'm, I can talk about that, you know? And yeah, so, yeah. um, you know, I, I was talking about a band about Bill and Sebastian. Bill and Sebastian's all my favorite band. I can talk about that. And so, I think finding those things where it becomes apparent to them that that you're not just trying to monetize their thing in a way that's going to make you money and hurt them. I think the you big know? the big trick is just to not use the word monetize. That's yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I mean, like, there's all these, and, it, and it's it, it's kind of one of those things too. Like, so a, a thing that 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 my mom did when I was growing up was she talked to me like an adult, mm. and so um, that's huge. And, and I see I see my friends who have kids. Uh, doing that with their kids and I see how it works on their kids. It's like a really positive, you know, you treat your, you treat your children, you know, you don't expect them to be adults, but you treat them like adults, you mm. know, and you give them sort of the respect that you would give to an adult. Um, and you talk to them like an adult and it, and it's, you know, they say like, you know, psychologists spoke or whatever, seem to think that that is like a positive for development of you know, yeah. intellect and yeah, all that. Yeah. Kind of um, I, I feel the same way about talking to bands. Like, I feel like you, yeah, monetize is kind of the sticky word. Synergy is a word that everybody hates, you know, but like, <laughs> but I think sometimes you kind of have to, like, instead of trying to veil those things, I think those are words that are important for people who are going to make that jump from DIY to record label world. You prepare them for the conversations they're inevitably going to have by talking to them as if they need to know that stuff. Yeah. No, you know? that's great. And so, so like monetize is like a gross word for sure, but it's also a reality, Yeah, you know, that that's yeah. a, that's a principle of how things work. And like, you know, uh, uh, being able to sort of have a, a grasp of when, you know, that way that when those people go to meetings and have conversations or whatever, and somebody's like, Oh, the ROI, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know what ROI means, you know, mm, like, yeah, like it's return on investment, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, I mean, this is a business. And I think yeah. that that's the other piece of it is, is like in, in to kind of answer the question, like you have to show them that, Hey, I'm on your side and I believe in what you're doing, but I also take this really seriously and this is my job. Yes. And so yes, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to just be your, your friend who's the hobby label putting out your stuff. Like I want to be your friend and that's a piece of it. But, but the other piece of it is, is that, I, I run a business and hopefully a successful business and let's make decisions that are mutually beneficial for us that are also good business decisions, you know? Well, and, and I think that's yeah. a piece of that. That's a great point. And I think that there is nothing wrong with, with trying to make money and all this, because I think at the root of it, the, and, and I love that you said that the, you take it really serious. And, and because to me, when I am trying to make a record, ha, make money, the whole idea is so that all of us, myself and the artists and the and producers and engineers and photographers can have a career in art, in music. You know what I mean? That's the whole goal. The whole goal is that we can find a way to get paid fairly for um, what we love to do. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a guy, uh, his name is Patrick Kinlan. He's in a band called self-defense family. Okay. Um, he, he's kind of the king of the hot takes and, okay. um, he, he, I, Patrick is a very smart person. He is, he is, says some things I agree with. He says some things I don't agree with. And I think he would be excited to hear me say that. Um, <laughs> uh, he's just very present yeah. on the internet 
with that, with his opinions about things. And I think he says a lot, there's sometimes he'll get on a riff about something. And I'm just like, you know, preach it brother. <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> on, on point. And one of the things that he has said a couple of times and articulated uh, better than I can, which is why I'm giving him credit for it is <laughs> that um, he, he talks about like bands that are, they, they sort of are in this point we're talking about this sort of like, you know, this determining factor, like, well, what, where, which path am I going to take? And he says like, what you see happen is you see bands and I'm doing a bad job of, he, he does it in a more concise way, but he basically says, is there a, you know, you're a band that you're like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sell out. I'm not gonna like, you know, I don't want to be on a big label that right, has good right. distribution and, and take all the money and do all that stuff. You know, so instead I'm going to, uh, uh, like, you know, like go get an office job that I can't tour and I can't play music mm -hmm. ever really. And, you know, it's like the people's mentality is, the, the, the choices are like not do music and, and have it be this thing where like you constantly talk about wanting it to be your life, but you're working a, a, a day job or going this like other route with labels. And like, like somehow there's more like honor in doing the, the former, hmm. you know, and that like right. somehow like there's honor in being sort of like this, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, having a day job and like it being, and, and like, again, artist. I'm not, it, it's not, it's not about that. That's a bad thing. And if that's what you want to do, that's great. Do that. But if you're, if you're constantly talking about how your art is like your life and, and making music is your life and that's all you want to do with your life. And then when those opportunities present themselves, you gristle mm. at the thought of yeah. money being part of that. How do you reconcile those ideas? Great point. You that's know? awesome. Yeah, no, you it's know? good. That's fair. And we, I mean, it, it, I think I, I was going to say it's like a thing you see in, in the community here, but I think it's true everywhere. Is there's, we all know if you're involved in music in any way, you know people who, who play in bands that are like, yeah, music is my life, and then they have a job where they set up their life so that they can tour. You know, they're like, oh, I'm the waiter, so I can get yeah. off time easily or whatever, and yeah. and then, but they never do it, mm. and it's just like, what what is that disconnect? And I think a lot of that disconnect comes from a distrust or a, a lack of understanding of how kind of those next steps look, you well, know, it's so true. And I mean, a lot of the musicians that are, that I know that are successful or becoming successful are the ones who've really swallowed their pride and, and who have, um, you know, the, the, the guys I'm thinking of right now who, who have been successful and just got signed to a great label, um, have spent the last year filling out grant applications and, and working on the paperwork of their business, you know, and, and they're guitar players, you know, and I, but they're they're the ones who are going to have a career uh, for life in music, and I think that's the thing that you know we don't have the grant thing in the states. Yes. but like, sorry, but I mean that's it's it's awesome. <laughs> you know, we're <laughs> we're jealous of it, but like, but I think that that a thing that that uh, you know we yeah it's it is that thing of like I I, I the swallowing the pride thing makes me a little uncomfortable, but only because I think that there's ways. I think there's a misnomer that like that like to to do that to like go after like sign, you know filling out grant applications or or doing whatever those things are is a matter of like you have to like give up something and I think that the reality is is that given that the landscape is what it is that there has been this democratization of music mm. you can really effectively uh uh do stuff with music and not have to swallow your pride, but also be successful and not shy away from those paths to success. Right. 
Well, I, I, I think when I say swallow your pride, I'm thinking about that mentality of I'm a musician. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a guitar tech for my very first show. This kind of thing of like where I, I just right. I love seeing musicians who are really hardworking and musicians say, can I email these blogs? Can I do this? Can I, you know what I mean? Can I fill out these forms? Um, I think that's, I think that that makes a, a successful musician today. Totally. And, and I think the thing for, for, uh, for me is that, um, we always say as a label, like we want to work as hard for you as you want to work for yourself, hmm. you hmm. know? And so there's plenty of people we work with that don't really want to work hard. And maybe we really love the music and we say, okay, we're going to put this out, but our level of commitment to it is going to be pretty low. And we've gotten better about being candid about that in those conversations with those people hmm. so that they understand that like we are, you know, like we're going to only commit so much, you know? Um, so like, um, yeah. And so I think that like one of the pieces of that is, is like, if you're going to, if you want to be the band that wants to fill out the forms and wants to do all this stuff and wants to, you know, kind of be really hands on, that's great. And we're probably going to be able to match that level of effort with other things that we can do that you're taking that stuff off of our plate. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And giving us the, the, you know, capacity to do other things. For sure. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about Julian Baker a bit. Um, so she put out a record with you guys sprained ankle in, in 2015. Is that right? Yes. How did yep. you, so, okay. So how did you guys meet Julian? How did that relationship start out? So, uh, there was a band on the label that had connections to Memphis where she's from. And okay. we, um, had been made aware of her. She was in a band at the time. We were aware of kind of her and the band. Um, and, um, yeah, we were just really, like kind of blown away by, you know, what we had heard about them and, and the music. And, um, we were really excited about it, but we were still kind of trying to figure out because they were really young. I mean, when we started looking at them, they were all still in high school oh, and, wow. um, or, or I think had just graduated. And so, you know, they were 18 years old. And so we were a little weary about that just cause that, that felt like uh, there's, there's still some, you know, growth that needs to happen here just as, yeah. as like, humans you know and no, so, totally um and and i think just even musically like it was like well they're gonna figure some more stuff out in the next year or two so we kind of had an eye on it and then she in december of 2014 she released a solo record which was essentially the core of what became sprained ankle okay um on Bandcamp. Oh, i mean okay. and it was I, I always joke i think i can't remember exactly but i want to say it was like december 27th Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a great time best, to make a record. <laughs> I was say, the best time to release a record, you know, everyone's just super attentive and not busy at all. And yeah. so it was just really funny. And, and, and so, you know, we caught wind of it like within a day of it going live. And I mean, I think within, I think it was only live for maybe, you know, a couple of weeks before oh, okay. we were like, Hey, take this down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, let's, let's, let's kind of go back to the drawing board with this a little bit. And so essentially what spray ankle was, was, the core of it, so it's nine songs. Seven of those songs were that recording that she released on Bandcamp. Did she record them we, herself? She recorded. So it's a weird story is that she actually um, had recorded them in Richmond, where I live, oh, with wow. at a studio that at one point I was using as my office. <laughs> but wow. like we never, we never actually met. I didn't know she was making the record. I didn't even know she was in town, and I'd actually heard her friend was interning at the studio. He wasn't even from, he didn't work at the studio regularly. 
um, although he's from Richmond originally, and he basically made it kind of like on the side as like his intern project for school. Wow. And, you know, it was just this whole kind of weird fortuitous thing. And so, cause um, I thought I read, I thought I read that she went to school for engineering. She did at one point. Oh, so okay. She was sort of like involved in that. Um, but that's how she knew the, the guy who made the record. Oh, okay. So, and, but it was still a studio record. It wasn't like a, it, bedroom. yeah, yeah. Okay. It was still a studio record. And so, you know, she, and then a couple of the songs she had recorded, I think even just at school, like in the like, you know, little sound rooms yeah, that they yeah. have there. Cool. Um, and then, um, yeah. And so we, we basically sort of did all of it, you know, like we kind of like did all the bells and whistles around that release and really believed in it. And I think just from a really early point where like felt like there was, there was something really special in what she was doing. And, um, I mean, how, you know, how much did you like, what, how much did you feel was going to happen? Like, what were your expectations like? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to sort of go back and, and be honest about that. Cause yeah. it's hard. I, I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't, I mean, seriously, cause it's like, it, it I, I mean, I think if I'm being honest, it exceeded all of my expectations. Right. But I also know that, that, you know, my mom constantly reminds me that like, that was one where I was just like very early on before anybody really was giving us any indications that people were going to care that I was like, no, this is like, this is the thing. This is the one, yeah. you know, this is going to be Good. a really important that's record. Awesome. And so, um, and again, like that's a little, that's a little easy to mythologize, you know, it's a yeah. little easy to yeah, yeah, be like, for sure. oh, I knew this was going to happen, but I really genuinely felt like it was going to be successful. I don't know that I could have ever imagined her career going as oh, far yeah. as it has yeah, and, sure. and continues to grow. But, um, but I think that I, I, I think we had an indication early on that it was like, this is, this is something special. You know, we have something special on our hands. And so, well, the takeaway yeah. for, uh, A and R people who are listening is to search Bandcamp on December 27th <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> for any new releases. You might I mean, find something. It, it's the Bandcamp thing is so interesting because I think that that's a really good example of like that record existed on Bandcamp for, I mean, it was a limited amount of time, but yeah. it was out and, and it existed and it very easily could have lived and died on that, right. on that vine, you oh, know, man. like, yeah. And it, and it's I, I love Bandcamp. I think those people do great stuff. I think that the fact that they're you know branching into editorial is cool. Yeah. And, you know they have built a thing that is phenomenal and great for music. The detriment I think of what the the kind of byproduct of that is is that bands think well I recorded it yesterday so the world needs to hear it today. Oh yes. And and there isn't that sort of patience to the process that again back to kind of what we were talking about earlier like that digi digital democratization of music has made it so simple for people to get music to people, but they don't think about all the other things. And I think honestly, like kind of a, a in defense of labels point of view is like, people are always like, Oh, you don't need a label because you can just put the record on Bandcamp and you mm. can do all your mail order yourself and you can put it on all the digital providers yourself. And you know, you don't need a label to do that stuff. And it's like, that's true that the, the access is, is a lot easier now, but the things that you don't get that I think that Julian record is a good example of is we spent, I mean, like I said, we had the record in December. Yeah. And then it came out in October. So right. what was going so on? We, we, I mean, we spent 10 months basically building, you know, every aspect of that thing to be successful. And so wow. we did a really co you know, coordinated, calculated publicity rollout. We had a really great publicist involved and, you know, we, we've just, we were really deliberate about all the choices we were making and really built it to give it some, some genuine momentum that carried it through. 
and, and launched it off in a really successful way. And I think that's, that's the stuff that's super important that labels do. And, and it, and it maybe isn't a label in your, in, in a band's, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a label to do that, but you need to have people who understand that thing to be able to accomplish it. You know, there are sort of uh, levels of expertise that exist that can't be, you know, immediately, you know, uh, understood from just putting music on Bandcamp. I think, know? yeah, I think the best thing that I, I feel like I, I have to offer, um, is just that, that, uh, idea to have patience and to step back and say, to be strategic and think, you know, this is a gem and we don't want it to just evaporate on Bandcamp or, or on Apple or whatever. And I, I think that is a, that's a really good point. And I mean, I've talked to so many artists who, when I say like, you know, we probably shouldn't release something on December or we probably shouldn't release something on the Friday of a long weekend or, you know, or that kind of thing. It's like it, to them, it's like, Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Like a lot of people like the December thing, it wouldn't even phase them. Yeah. And I, and I think that the, like, there's so much that is like, learned from making mistakes mm. that instead of making those mistakes and learning those things, why not bring people into your, into your life, into your team around your, around your band that are, have made those mistakes or, or have seen others make those mistakes and kind of have learned from it. I mean, there's sort of a, um, you know, if you talk to anybody that works at a label for any amount of time, they're going to tell you records in December is a bad idea. Right. But right. if you're a band that's never been involved with the label or, or had a publicist or, you know, whatever, you're not going to understand that. And, mm. and I think even like, you know, from a publicity standpoint, you're not going to know that journalists basically are MIA in yeah. December because yeah. they've, they're turning in their year end lists and then taking the holidays. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's a thing that like, you just don't understand as a band. And, and, that's, and that's just one example of a lot of things where, Oh yeah, for sure. You see people. And I mean, even with labels, like there's, there's, you know, labels that I'm friends with that like, I'll kind of get involved and see what they're doing. And I'm like, you know, other labels and say, Hey, maybe try it this other way because like you're paying too much for manufacturing or you're, mm, you know, the, that's the, cool. you can do publicity in this way or, you know, just yeah. that sort of, again, it's, it's a community. And I think that, you know, it, like I, I don't have a magic, you know, key to understanding everything, but I definitely have learned a lot and I want to share that with people. You that's know? And, awesome. And so I think that's bands, that's labels, that's whoever, you know, um, Okay, so had you done the sensitive singer songwriter thing before? Like, what made you think that would be a good fit for your label? Because you guys well, were a I bit think, of a harder label, right? Yeah, and so we had done a lot of hardcore kind of er, early stuff. Was all like hardcore sort of stuff, although there is some, you know, some departure from that. But I think mm. generally we had been sort of known for being that kind of a label. And I think what was happening simultaneously was that we started having a lot of conversations about our own tastes, you know? And so Joey yeah. and I, our, our, our tastes are, are diverse as we've talked about, you know, and, and we like a lot of things beyond the, the kind of confines of punk and hardcore. And so we just started like thinking about, okay, what's it look like if we release this stuff? I think the Julian record was probably a further out thing than we had done as far as like departure from where we were, Yeah, but, yeah. It, but it, it didn't feel to us like that map, like a massive departure in that, we listen to music like that anyway. So sure. it's not like we're unfamiliar with those, yeah, with that yeah. genre or that type of music. But, but I think we had done things that were not hardcore bands. It just was nothing that was quite that sort of like mainline indie leaning, I guess, you mm -hmm. know? And so 
or that sort of like quiet, I guess. And so since then we've done, you know, a number of records that have had that, that kind of a, a vibe. I mean, nothing may be quite as delicate and singer songwriter right, as her right, stuff, right. but um, you know, we, we, and I think that's the thing is like, like I said earlier, like we want to be a label that people don't look at it and say, Oh, well that label sounds like that. Like this band mm-hmm. sounds like they're on that label. And I think we've, you know, there's a detriment to that because you don't get that immediate buy-in, that immediate kind of brand recognition. But I think also the the benefit is is that if you if people do start to pay attention, and we've seen that that start to happen, people will be like, "Well, I these these this label has good taste, and, yeah. and I'm I'm excited about what they're doing, and I'm excited about um, the music they put out. And even though it's you know this band maybe is a punk band, and this band is a singer songwriter, and this band is a shoegaze band, and you know whatever those things are, like all of them are good, you know, and that, right. that's, that's what we want it to be is just that the qualification is that it's good and people will, people like it. And then that's like, you know, it, it kind of come on the journey with us, you know? And so, well, what a, what a, um, bad decision that would have been <laughs> for you to be like, I love this record that she put out on December 27th, but it doesn't fit our label. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because we, we've seen, we, there were some early instances, and I won't name names, but there were some early instances of records that got offered to the label before I was involved that were turned down because they didn't necessarily fit the vibe of the hmm. label. That were bands that have gone on to be very successful, right. you know. And so I wow. think that there's again, it's that thing of like you learn those lessons too, and and I think it's both learning the lessons, but also just I think I mean, like I said, we're we're you know we're Joey and I are the same age. We're both going to be thirty nine this year. Um, I, you know, there's just a point at which my music taste has to broaden or I'm, I'm going to like not be interested anymore, you Mm, know? And I, and I think to that thing of like, I don't just listen to punk and hardcore. And in fact, I mean, you know, some people would say that it makes me a sellout or something, but I don't listen to a lot of hardcore these days. You know, I just don't, I'm not as angry as I was when I was 20, you know? And so... (laughs) I just, it, and it's like, it, some of it's still really good. There's still bands I love in that genre and, yeah. you know, new releases I love, but like they're becoming fewer and fewer right. you know, and far, farther between. And so I just think that, you know, it would be unsustainable for us as a label to have it be a label as a business that was putting out music we actually genuinely cared about and liked and also to be pigeonholed into only putting out hardcore punk records right you know? yeah no that's i mean that's a great point and i think you talked about this a little bit is that there is a there is a potentially a problem of, of saying okay look at this trend i need to go find an artist that fits into this trend um that's a problem but to say you know i love this record and it may not fit with our previous releases but i love it and it it moves me so i'm gonna release it i think i think that's still i think that's still cool and it can be really challenging because not all of them are Julian Baker records. You yeah, know, like, yeah, like no, that's there's, right. a, there's plenty of records that we've put out that I think are great that no one cares about, right. you know? And, yeah, and yeah. Um, you just sort of, that's the, that's the, the trade-off, you know? Yeah. It's like if, I mean, and I think a lot of labels in our position, what they would have done was gone out and find every single female, you know, uh, LGBTQ, you know, uh, uh, like you know, whatever those right. like whatever those classifications you would have thrown Julian sure. into, and and, and could to to like kind of quantify her, like those things, you know, would have been we would have gone out and signed everything we could possibly get our hands on like that. Yeah, yeah. Did you and, see- and then just you know throw throw it at the wall and see what else we could get to stick? And that's just not how we do business. 
Did you see other labels doing that, looking for that type of uh, mold? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's been really interesting to see her become a touch point for people as a description of a genre. You know, she's almost, (laughs) she's almost created her own thing enough that like, which is to her credit, she's a, she's an incredible musician, incredible artist. Mm. So she's created almost like this, this space for music where she now is a reference point for other people to describe their music, which is a crazy thing to see witness, you know? You're right. um, Yeah. And so, and there's, and there's been stuff too, where you've seen like artists, you're like, I know what you're doing, <laughs> you know, like you're mimicking, <laughs> you're mimicking what, what she's done. Yeah. And like, I, I think that's inevitable, you know, is like that, that people will do that. I mean, to whatever the band, I mean, not, and that's not just unique to her. That's every band sure. that has any level of success. And I'm sure we put out bands that are aping other people's things. Right, right, too. Right. You know, yeah, just, yeah. that's just how it is. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think it is interesting to sort of be involved in something and see it become sort of a classifier and also an influence on others. Well, and that kind of leads me to my next question is, um, so she's now with Matador, right? Yep. And another band of yours, uh, Joyce Manor, um, who I love, that's uh, such a a phenomenal band. Uh, And I don't know now you're now how you're talking about like broadening genres. I don't know if that's maybe just because of nostalgia, but I I just love that, that band, but they're with Epitaph, right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So we, I've talked about this on the show with some other labels who've had artists graduate, so to speak, to other labels. What do you think about that? Is that something you're proud of? Yeah, very much so. And I, and I think the thing that, that I would add to that is, is that, so Touche Amore, we put out, Touche Amore, we put out their first LP. Okay. They're, they're also on Epitaph now. Oh, okay. Um, a, a band more recently we put out, kind of around the same time as Julian, um, is a band called Culture Abuse, who are currently making their next record for Epitaph. Wow. Um, uh, and so, you know, we've had three bands that have started out with their first record, first LPs being on 6131, yeah. that have gone on to be on Epitaph. We had a band early on, one of the hardcore bands we worked with is now on Hopeless. Wow. Um, obviously, Julian's on Matador. Yeah. So we've had a lot of bands sort of, you know, graduate, to borrow your word, like to, to these, these, you know, quote unquote, bigger labels. Um, and they, and they're bigger labels. That's, I, there's no, there's no okay. need for air quotes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they are bigger labels. Um, and so, um, I, I think one of the things I say a lot is it's really important as a label of our size to know where you live in the world. And so, um, I think that having a sense of like, um, hmm. you know, we, we know where we are. And so in the, in the relationship with Julian and with Matador, um, full disclosure, I still manage Julian. So I, right. I I'm still kind okay. of involved in that, but like, um, and it made it a little more complicated in that negotiation. But I mean, we, we, we came to an arrangement that was, you know, positive for everyone. It was a positive for Julian first and foremost, positive for Matador seemingly, they seemed excited. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I can't speak for them, but it seemed like they were excited <laughs> and continue to be excited. Right. Um, and then speaking for 6131, I think we were excited about the way that arrangement worked out. And so um, I, that's great. You know, I think, mm. I think we're really proud of the fact that we did something and, and we grew what she was doing. We were a part of growing what she was doing. We didn't, I don't want to take full credit for it, but, but we were a part of, of making her thing successful yeah, enough that for sure. she outgrew the capacity of what 6131 as a label could provide for her. And so... I think that that's super important for labels. I think the worst thing labels can do is sign bands to multiple record deals. And then when those bigger labels come knocking, say, we're not going to let you go. I think there, you know, there are ways in which you can make those arrangements work. You know, and, and one mm-hmm. of the pieces that we did with the Matador deal for her was, 
the 6131 logo is on those records. Wow. You know, wow. and that's a part of that negotiation yeah. process. And I think, you know, we've done that a number of times where you just, you, you make those, you know, sometimes you have more leverage than others, but, but you can make those, those kinds of arrangements that are positive for everyone. They don't feel gross. They don't feel like yeah. people yeah. are getting taken advantage of. The thing that, that is, is not great about those situations is when bigger labels come to try to poach those smaller bands and they want to pay nothing for them. You know, right. they don't want to, they don't want to give the bands really anything. They don't want to give you anything for the time and effort and money you've invested into it. Right. And they think that their name, their brand recognition is enough to like warrant that they should just get it. And, right. and that's, that's painful. I mean, I think yeah. we've, we've seen that happen um, where bands have left under those circumstances especially, you know, in the past when we were less knowledgeable hmm. and, and it, it smarts because you're like, man, like, you know, we've, we we're still unrecouped on this record. And now all of the like things that we've built towards this other label is going to reap all those rewards. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's, that's not really great. No, and I think those are yeah, the situations you want to avoid, but you can, I think there is a, there's, there's not, it's not a, a like just strictly a, you know, that, or they, they don't leave. And I think mm, a lot of people yeah. see it that way. And, and I, it's, it's heartbreaking for me when I see labels that are, have bands that have outgrown them and they refuse to let them leave. And there's positive options on the table and they're saying, no, you have to do your next record here. I, I've seen that happen. And it's, it's sad because it's like, I think people are not, not fully understanding the benefits that can be shared all around. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a great point. I love it. I love that it's by your own admission. And I, and I, and I think it's cool that, um, what you said, know where you live in the world. I think that's so, that's so wise to be able to have that humility. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's <laughs> learned. It's not, it's not innate. It's learned. It's great. Know, but I think, and I think that's true. Like the other thing is, is the best calling card for us as a label for A and R purposes is bands who have, you know, like you said. I mean, w most people when they know bands on the label are like, I know Joyce Manor, I know Touche Amore, I know Culture Abuse, I know Julian Baker. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't necessarily know the bands that are our own bands that have not left, and that just means we haven't done all we can do with them yet. It's like once they become sort of you know, household names or whatever that, you know, whatever way you can refer to that, like they probably have grown to a point where we, we may not be able to help them anymore. And right. we want to continue to grow as a label and we have continued to grow as a label. And one of the things we always say is like, we would love to be able to grow to the point where that's not the case. Right. But the reality for right now and, and the foreseeable future is that if, if a label like Epitaph comes knocking and, it, and presumably wants to put a, a reasonable offer in front of everybody, that's probably a great thing because then all, then it becomes like, Oh, you know, this band goes off to this other label, goes off to, you know, whatever and, and grows and continues to, to explore the world. And if you tie and if you become a fan of that band, you draw their lineage back and you're like, Oh, there's this label that I've never heard of that has put out all these bands. I love, I need to be aware of them and I need to pay attention mm -hmm. to the things they're doing that, yeah. as they're coming out. I'll catch things earlier, you know? Well, so. to me, it all goes back to what you said at the beginning when you're talking about signing an artist, cause you're a fan and this whole thing being built around fandom and, and to stunt their future growth because you want to protect the label. That's not being a fan. No, not at all. And, and I think it, 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 you want to make sure that like what's best for the band is what's happening. And sometimes what's best for the band. I mean, it's kind of like, any kind of relationship. Sometimes the best thing for a relationship is that you not be together. 
And yeah. that's a that's a, a hard thing to do. I've heard you that know, a lot. but like yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I mean and and it's great when you can find those relationships where and that's you know not just romantic relationships, but any re- human yeah. relationship, sometimes the best thing to do for those relationships is to like give each other space. Right. You know, and, right. and, and so like I think it's just an extension of that where it's like you know, if you think you're the best for whatever that situation is, you probably aren't, you know? And so, um, you know, just the notion that you would think you're the best, you're not, you know? And I think that, so recognizing that, having that humility and and, and saying like, I think that we're going to be really great for now. I think we can do a lot. And like, when we're doing A&R, when we're talking to bands being like, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm excited about helping you get to that next step. You know, I kind of hope I do my job so well that I put myself out of a job almost, you yeah, know, and like, yeah. um, and that's great. You, you know, know, and I think that's a great position. I've always, I've always, um, you know, kind of, that's been sort of a little bit of a goal is to be, you know, to, to know my role and what my capabilities are. And we, we had this uh, similar conversation, um, a couple weeks ago with, um, Ben at party damage and they had Andy Schaff before he was signed to, um, anti and, and arts and crafts. And, and I, for me personally, I just think that's kind of the goal, like, you know, and, and obviously I'd love to grow to a bigger label, but I would love to be able to find someone and, and to work with them and we've had that actually a little bit but um to uh to see them graduate so to speak i i think it's a beautiful thing and andy's a good example because like he's yet another one where i i would guarantee the people i know who are familiar with andy's music and i know a lot of people who are Mm -hmm. would be unaware of that label yeah you know and 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 i think especially when you start thinking about sort of like that that international scope of things it's like you know, even with Julian's record, one of the things that happened was early, early on, before, you know, Matador was interested, a label from Australia approached us and was just, I think, responding to sort of good press and hearing it and thinking it was really great, off, offered to license the record in Australia. And we and we did that. It was mm. called Spunk Records. And they've done some really great stuff down there. And, and it, it, I mean, it gave her a foothold in Australia that has then turned into her doing multiple tours down there. Amazing. Her, like having good radio play. And I mean, and then when Matador gets involved and goes into that area, then it's like, it's already so well established in a country that she's not from. And so, um, you know, by contrast, we hadn't really ever had great, 613 just doesn't have great distribution into Europe. Um, There's some, but it's not, you know, it's not as present as if we were a European label. And, you know, it was interesting to see that contrast because Europe is a market that has been really great for her. But it's also been something that, like, we've had to spend a lot more time developing. Mm. Whereas in Australia, having someone on the ground saying, "Hey, I'm doing this," so I think even that, like, that notion of, like, you know, a, a, you know, being in Canada or being in the states and then trying to go across the border, yeah, it's so much nicer when you have somebody in the area that can do that. You yeah, know? and so oh, like, totally. like, we're not a label that has a Canadian office, and there's a lot of Canadian labels that don't have American offices, and I think that that. You know, it's so wild how that like imaginary line <laughs> makes a huge difference. Oh you yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I do want to ask you a little bit about streaming. Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to ask you. Um, I want to. I want to talk to you about streaming because I know that you've you've said. Um, I've read somewhere you, you've said that. Um, and in earlier in this conversation, you said you were a fan of Spotify, and um, 
I know that that Julian has done really well on Spotify, and and I, like I know for us, we have a lot of like sad, melancholy singer songwriter stuff, and that genre does really well on on playlists, like for you know passive does, listeners yeah. and stuff. It's just a, <laughs> it just really fits the mood of studying students. But um, what do you what do you think of streaming? Are you comfortable with it? Do you think it's headed in the right direction? I mean, I I think it's one of those things where the the, the conversation about whether or not streaming is a thing or, or is, <laughs> yeah. is, is, is yeah. like sort of like, you know, is it going to stick around? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're talking about like, you know, uh, I, it's not, I think people want to sort of, I think people who are anti-streaming want to believe it's like LimeWire right, or right, right. or one of these down. things yeah. where, yeah, where the, like the government's going to come along and be like, there's going to be a court case and right, you know, right, Lars right. Ulrich is going to sue somebody <laughs> and it's going to go away. <laughs> And that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just the, the, the ship has sailed, yeah, you know? And yeah, so yeah. Um, I think that, that with streaming, it's super interesting is that the, the, the conversation needs to shift from whether or not streaming is a thing that exists to how do we engage with this technology that is the technology presently. And so, you know, there's news recently of like Apple's talking about shutting down iTunes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and moving just to Apple Music, which is you know streaming versus downloads. And I think that's going to be, I think that really is going to be the paradigm shift for how people think about digital music. Because really, when we, when people talk about downloads, they're talking about iTunes. When people talk about streaming, they're talking about Spotify. And yeah. those are the two big players. Yeah. And so at least at least here, that's the case. And I think that's probably the yeah. Oh, yeah. pretty no, it's the same. Yeah, worldwide us, the case. Yeah. And, and so I think that, um, you know, you see these people like, you know, Amazon music trying to do streaming or, or, you know, uh, you know, there's all these other services. Yeah. Yeah, Google, Google play or whatever. And, you know, these other services that that are trying to sort of get into that space, but it's like, you know, Apple just locked down downloads and Spotify beat them to the punch of locking down streaming. And they just were the, the one that rose to the top. And so I think there's a lot of, you know, I, I sort of, as a matter of, doing the job I do, I pay attention to a lot of the kind of behind the scenes businessy stuff that exists for those. And it's interesting to kind of see that like Spotify is struggling to be profitable. You know, they're struggling yeah. to make it profitable on their side because they've, they've kind of created a monster that they didn't fully know how it would work. You right, know, right. Um, there was a story I saw, you know, the other day about a guy in Bulgaria, I think where he bought 1200 uh, premium accounts on Spotify, made music, and populated playlists. And then those playlists, the way it got caught was those playlists were doing so well that they were charting <laughs> worldwide uh, because of, it's based on like revenue streams. Yeah. And there's apparently like like charts that get shared around kind of internally. Okay. Um, that he was in the top 10 or like top 20 or something with these oh, charts. Man. And it was all music he had, he had, you know, through proper channels put up on the service. Yeah. Um, and then had paid for accounts, but he had, uh, 30 seconds is like the tipping point of when something becomes, you know, like they monetize it. Okay. And so he had through these 1200 accounts, basically been playing these playlists on loop yeah. for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it, and, and, you know, they did all the math in this article I was reading, but they were talking about, um, you know, he had made like over $400,000 a month. Oh, wow. Legitimately. Like, yeah, like there right, was no, right. yeah. he wasn't violating any terms of service. He wasn't, you know, and, and, and so there, there's obviously some some discrepancy, and that, and that opened up a whole conversation about like um, tying revenue instead of to to plays, but to an artist. So if you listen to you know the way it works is like you know they put all the money into a pot, and then if you have your portion of the the grand total of plays, you get paid that amount. 
what they've talked about is that they should, you know, people are sort of advocating for, and I don't know if it'll ever happen, is a model in which, um, you know, if, if, if I listen to all day, every day, one artist, yeah, then that artist should get all of the money I pay, oh. you know, the portion of my oh. money from my subscription, as opposed to that money going into a pot that gets shared amongst everyone. Oh, you're right. You right, know, right, right. And, and it's like, it's still the same monetizing model. It just means that like, if, if a, someone is only listening to two or three artists, that those two or three artists split their share of that person's right. I, mean, pay, I, I can't know. see that happening. Right. I, I mean, either. Yeah. But, I, I've, I've always thought there's a justification. <laughs> oh, I, I would, I mean, I totally agree. And I've thought of that too. And I'm listening to, you know, a whole month goes by and it's like, I've pretty much just listened to this new record that came out this one record all month long, maybe dabbled in a, a few other records, but it's pretty much been this record. And I feel bad. Cause it's like, well, that person's probably only made $2 and 50 cents for this whole month of nonstop streaming, you know? Yeah. But I, I think they operate by like that gym membership thing, you know, where some people are paying nine ninety nine a month and only listening to one or two songs. Totally, yeah, totally. And so the 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 thing is, is like, there's obviously some. We're we're still a little bit in the wild west with it. Of like, we I think there will be things that change. And obviously, like you know, the thing that ha- happened recently with, I think it was like with you know Sirius and Pandora and even with Spotify, where like the the amount that they have to pay on mechanicals is yeah. changing. Yeah. And, all of that stuff is changing, you know, at least in the States, that's all changing. And I think that that's obviously different in each territory, but like those things are changing. The thing that I think Spotify is interesting about is that people want to talk about like, oh, I had, you know, uh, uh, you know, this many plays and I only got this amount of money. I think two things happen there that is interesting. One, when people tweet a picture of the check that they received, the question you have to ask is who's writing that check? If it's coming from a label, right then the question has to be what's the portion of the money that the label received? Because right. I think too often people want to be like, well, I made three cents from Spotify this month. Right. But it's like, but how much did your label make? Cause right. maybe you're in a deal where, or the distributor, you get a low, right. That you're getting a low distribution or your low royalty rate, or mm-hmm. maybe your record's not recouped and yeah. they're only paying you a, yeah. a portion. Right. Or, there's all these other factors that I think yeah. it's easy to sort of paint, paint the streaming services as a villain when there's a lot of other extenuating circumstances that, that matter, you know? I, um, yeah, I got to ask you about something that you said that is, I think is huge. And I read somewhere that you said that streaming is a long game where a good song. That was, that was my second point. Okay. And that was my second Sorry. point. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Explain I mean, that. I, and, I, and so like it, it, streaming is, is encouraging of making music people want to listen to a lot. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. if you have a one hit wonder, if you make a record that has one really great song and nine not so great songs, that one song is going to get a ton of plays. It's going to get a ton of playlisting. And that happens even with good records, but um, people aren't going to hear that and then dive in and, and digest the rest of the record. Cause it's going to be fluff. And mm. so, and that song is going to go out of vogue pretty quickly and you're going to end up, you know, maybe you get 10 million plays this month or this year or whatever it is, but like, you're not going to have 10 million plays next year. Yeah. What an artist like Julian's a really great example of somebody where you have loyal listenership who want to, her numbers split about 50, 50 between playlisting and people listening on her profile Hmm. and which is good. That's a pretty good average. And, and uh, you know, so people are discovering it, listening to obviously certain songs get a lot more plays because they end up on these like high profile things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, or yeah, or like there's like, you know, there's a couple of her songs get played in Starbucks or whatever it is. Yeah. But like, the flip of that is, is that she, I think, you know, I'm biased, but I think the records are good. And I think that the people want to listen to them. 
as whole records. And so they, they lend themselves to people wanting to listen to them on repeat, listening to them over time. I think there are records people will want to revisit year after year after year. And yeah. I think you look at artists, you know, if you look at an artist that had like a one hit wonder in the nineties, you go look at their streaming numbers, that hit will be, you know, it'll have 10 million plays, right. but every other song on their, on their profile has a thousand, you right. know? And I think that, it speaks to that notion of like, you know, the, the things that are, um, you know, the things that have replay value, you continue to have plays. And so it is that long game, you know, it's like you're thinking long-term about like, okay, if people keep coming back to this thing. And I think that the, the, the difference between us, like a CD purchase, like we were talking about of going and you're just like on a whim, buy a CD at the store, you're buying that CD that one time, and, mm. you know, at the end of the day, the artist gets, you know, a couple bucks. Totally. The end, you know, by the time all the hands touch it. But like with with streaming, if you make a record that and, and obviously the future is yet to be told, but if if you make a record that people want to listen to over five years or ten years or twenty years, and it continues to have that that revenue popping in for every single one of those listens, I genuinely believe, and I think that the math would, would bear it out, that oh, there was a there's a tipping point where you will have then made more money from that listener than you would have off the CD. I love when I read this and, and, and hearing you say this excites me so much because I've, I've been preaching the same thing and I had my own epiphany about a year ago because I was like everyone else. I started in a negative position with Spotify and with streaming. I thought it was a bad thing, but I, my own epiphany was when I was driving last year, 2017, and I was listening to a copy of Kid A from Radiohead, and it was a CD copy that I had bought in 2000 at a record store in the year 2000. I probably, it was probably 1999 or whatever I spent on it. And here I am 17 years later listening to the exact same CD. And I, I, I've since then I've ripped it into iTunes. Uh, how many times have I listened to that record? And like you said, they probably made four or five bucks from it. They probably would have made a lot more if it was, if I was renting it, quote unquote. And, and the other thing that, that nobody ever wants to talk about is how many CDs did you buy back in that that time of CDs that you bought used. Right. Yeah. You know, Good so, you, point. so you have That's this, a great this, point. Like, this whole like multi-user license, you know, it gets into this whole legal And it's happening realm. again with vinyl when people are buying thrift shop right. vinyl. Yeah. That's a and great so, point. You know, so it's like, if you're, if you're listening to Fleetwood Mac rumors on a vinyl copy that you got from your parents or that you bought at a secondhand store and I mean, don't, don't buy that record new. Like there's enough of them in the world that they yeah. don't need to be continuing yeah. to repress it. Yeah. They will continue to repress it so they can sell it at urban outfitters, <laughs> but, but, it, but don't, I mean, there's, there's plenty of that record in the world in, in circulation. You can find a copy. Yeah. Buy. Yeah. And so like, but like, you know, to that point, all the copies that are in circulation that almost, you know, probably 90% of the copies that exist, I would argue were probably all purchased many years ago. And oh, so yeah. like, and there's for no, them, yeah. for a band like that, you're like, well, you made this really great record, you know, how many ever years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And, uh, like, you know, you're, it's being monetized now that dirty word monetized, but like, you know, it's, you're making money off of that music that you made that long ago. And those songs probably have, I haven't looked at Fleetwood Mac's numbers, but I'm sure that they have pretty good numbers on Spotify. You know? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing that people don't think about. And I, I think about it too. And when, when I'm at, you know, um, my daughter's like grade school dance and, and some kid is playing a song. And I think there was this, there was this era where, you know, a lot of like church functions and a lot of like, um, small school functions of playing music off their iPod or off a CD where artists weren't getting paid for it. You know, they weren't like 
official DJs or anything. So I just think now when, when people load up a Spotify playlist at a dance or at a party or in a, co in a coffee shop that goes for 24 hours a day, um, the artists are getting paid for it. Totally. And, and I think that, you know, how many bars, you know, were just, I mean, even not that many years ago, just plugging in an iPod, yep. like you said, and yep. playing like a, you know, I made this playlist or whatever. And yep. I mean, or DJs or whatever those things are. And, you know, I, there, there was always this, like this, this difficulty for the people who are responsible for collecting the money from those folks yeah. for that public performance that it was like, well, how do you know when you go into a dive bar and they're just playing like a, you know, a playlist <laughs> off an iPod, like, you, there's, you know, I mean, and honestly, that's why Shazam and those technologies were created was to to be able to put devices in bars and in restaurants and in public places and right. track what music was right. being played. It's kind of create. It's like solving a problem that now isn't a problem because yeah, more often than not, those people are just playing Spotify. The craziest thing to me, and I think this is a thing that that it sort of presents. It shows you sort of the new problem is we go to a Mexican restaurant. Uh, close to our house that we love. We go there like almost once a week and, <laughs> and they have a free account. <laughs> and so like <laughs> between ads? songs, <laughs> you hear ads and it's like, it's, it's, it's like what? 10, $12 a month. Like, yeah, I know. It's like you, <laughs> like your business, like you're, it's a restaurant. Like it's okay to pay. And I think that's, that is the sort of the thing that you have to confront and like, yeah. there has to be. And so I do understand when somebody like Adele or like Taylor Swift, as much as I don't think that their approach to it is great or the, the messaging is great, I get why they're like, ah, the free thing is our issue. I went to a, a film festival recently and it was free and the audience was not super attentive. And I think if you give something away for free, there's a, there's a lack of value being in, in kind of uh, innately in, in, you know, connected to it. Let me ask you again. Uh, do you think that okay. free model will go away? I, I do. I think that, um, because I think it's just I, Spotify who has it. That tier. Yeah, and I think some of the other ones like sort of dabble in it. I mean, like okay. the Amazon Music is sort of free. Oh, if yeah, you're, Prime. Yeah, Prime, yeah, and you know, it's like this whole thing. But uh, I, I do think it will go away in that you know, Spotify's not figured out how to make money, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that they will. They now that they have sort of cornered the market, I think that you will see them gradually. You know, in the same way Netflix has done, where like Netflix is like, eh, we're going to raise the price. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. really going to, I mean, and they've raised the price a couple of times in the last couple of years and nobody really is like, oh, I'm going to ditch Netflix for the price raise, yeah. you know, price increase. You know, I think that they're going to get to the point where they're going to say, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue to have a free model, but you're limited to the number of songs you can play in a month yeah. or, you know, you're, you know, you, the, the, they'll just inundate it with ads to the point where. People will just choose to buy the yeah yeah and, and I and I think that, yeah and that's a great idea I I think they would have a harder time than Netflix I mean I could talk about this all day this is fun but I I, I think they could have a, a harder time than Netflix because the thing with Apple and Google is that it's not really their main business and so I don't think there's any incentive for Apple to raise their prices and Spotify has like a direct competitor with Apple whereas Netflix there isn't really a you know, a, an equal competitor that has the exact same content. What I think is probably going to happen, and this is getting into sort of like, you know, high, high uh, theory of, you know, the business sure. landscape of music in a way that I, you know, I, I'm totally speculating. I have no sort of like line <laughs> on this stuff, but if I did, I'd be, you know, much better off than I am. But like, <laughs> um, but I think that um, 
I think what's going to happen with Spotify is somebody's going to buy them, you know, and, uh, and, and yeah. you're going to see, you're going to, I mean, and there was an article I was reading recently where they were talking about like, Apple should have just bought them five years ago, oh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, yeah. and just, just been like, well, we're, you know, we corner music, you know, iTunes was the only game in town for so long. Like we're going to continue to be the only game in town and just integrate it into all their stuff, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, integrate it into their home pods now. And just, you know, yeah. the way that Spotify and Sonos have kind of had this symbiotic relationship and, you know, I think that that just that would have been the the play, and I think they probably are kicking themselves for not doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, you might be I, right. I mean, Apple Music feels very reactionary to Spotify. You know, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's never really mm-hmm. to me felt like. And I was a very loyal iTunes user. Yeah, and it, yeah, me too. And, and Apple Music has always just felt a step behind. You know. Yeah. Um, right. I think that um, I think somebody's going to buy them. And I think that's a, and, and I think you're right in that everyone kind of always points to like this is the only way they make money and it's not making money. So how do you turn that around? There's obviously a runway that exists yeah, and there's gonna, they're yeah. going to hit an end of that runway at some point. Um, yeah, no, that's it, interesting. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, you're getting to a point though with the influence that they have where it becomes a, a very limited amount of people who can buy them or would make sense to buy them. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe what you see happen is that, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's all yeah. speculation. Like, yeah, right. It's I like, it, it's, it's, it could it's be Apple. It could be, yeah. And I mean, it could be, you know, Elon Musk could decide yeah, to buy, you yeah, know, and like, it's true. Yeah. I mean, just, so, you know, if Elon Musk was like, well, I'm going to get into the, the space of music yeah. and I have some, re- I mean, I, like the thing with Apple is, is that always iTunes was always a means to an end for iPods yeah, yeah, and then ultimately iPhones, yeah, you know? And so it really was a gateway to, the way you listen to music, I mean, MP3 players existed before iPods, but no one had them. Yeah. No one liked them. Yeah. They didn't work really well. They didn't integrate into your, you know, your kind of, you know, ecosystem yeah, of your for sure. technology. And then Apple got involved and it totally changed it. And then everyone was comp- complaining about MP3s are going to kill music. MP3s are going to kill music. And then now they're like, everybody's begging for MP3s back, you know, and it's like, <laughs> right. um, you know, tape, tapes are going to kill music. And you know, now, now we're begging for tapes. I mean, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's that, it's that conversation of like, we're, we're past the point of talking about whether this thing exists. Let's talk about how we make it work. And, mm. and yeah. And so I think, but for them, like the Apple stuff was always, it was always about selling hardware, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. Spotify, there's talk that Spotify's going to make a speaker maybe, or do something like that. Right. Um, right. But yeah. it, I just think it's all, they're so far behind the curve on all of that stuff that like, the, the it's thing just going to be really challenging. The thing that really worries me is the concept of like exclusive music. Cause you look at the difference between Apple, um, or the difference between say uh, Spotify and Netflix is that Netflix has content that their competitors don't have. Whereas Apple and Amazon and, and Google, when, when we release a record, it goes everywhere. Um, so I get kind of worried about the idea of them becoming a record label. Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, you you start to see some like weirdness with, um, you know, even like there's been like lots of drama around Spotify populating playlists, mostly with ambient kind of sleepy time music, right? But that they're seemingly having created, yeah, in house, you know, yeah, in yeah. house, and so and and on and you know the real issue is it's for hire, meaning the royalties that are being paid out on it is money that's going to them, right? Yeah, and exactly. so. Um, but again, it's like given their model, it makes sense. I mean, they're just kind yeah. of gaming the, their own system. I think there's a little bit of it feels disingenuous, and that's why people are upset about it. But it's kind of like, well, it's an inevitable end, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild. I mean, I think this is, this is definitely getting into the weeds of sort of like <laughs> the way, you know, and, and, but it's, it's important. And I think, you know, this is all the stuff that like, again, back to the notion of like what labels do, like it's important, you know, about this stuff, but mm-hmm. you can't expect yep. every single artist to understand the nuances of, you know, I think when you compress conversations, I think this is true for, you know, politics. I think this is true for everything where it's like, if you compress the narrative into talking points, that's dangerous, no matter what side you're yeah. on, you yeah. know? And, and so, that's fair. um, having, having sort of this, being able to sort of talk about things in a more nuanced way and say, yeah, there's really great things about X. They also do these other things I don't really love yeah. or this other thing that's not really sustainable or whatever that is. I think that's okay. And I don't, it's not, it doesn't have to be like a, you know, Spotify is the greatest thing to happen to music since music, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not it's, black or white. Like, yeah. Right. It's yep. like the current landscape, they're, a great game and they are a great place to, to, to be focusing on delivering artists. But like, if you're not, you know, if, if that's the, if you're thinking like, Oh, Spotify is going to be the game in 10 years, then you're thinking about it wrong. Cause that's not going to be the case. Yeah. There's going to be yeah. something else that we're all going to be up in a roar about, you know? <laughs> and, well, I think it's, a, yeah. And it's a good point. Just pay attention. Just be, just know what you're doing, you know, educate yeah. yourself. Yeah. Listen, man, this has been a great conversation. I, I honestly you could stop the tape and just talk about this forever. But uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on on such a great label and, and a, a great group of uh, artists you have and, and all the success with Julian. Um, thanks so much for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. It. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you for the conversation. I, again, I'm sort of the same way where I could just like riff on this stuff all day yeah, and I know. well you it know, gets to a point where it stops being enjoyable for anyone else to listen to you know, <laughs> yeah, so. that's true well it's like i i've, I've said it a couple of times it's like most people who run labels don't have friends who run labels so they they Which need other stupid, sound right? boards like, <laughs> yeah like I, I i think that that's i think also that's one thing i will say really quickly is that i think that it's that's stupid and i think that <laughs> the idea that we're competitors oh, especially oh, if you totally kind of all live at the same plane is is just so gross yeah that like totally i think agree. that there's that there's like the best thing you can do is again a part of that community thing is like be be positive and like one of the things that i've done that has shocked people sometimes mm-hmm. is if i find out a friend of mine is also trying to sign a, the same artist i tell them <laughs> i'm like hey i'm trying to sign that artist also let's talk about it because wow. maybe maybe you're a better fit yeah yeah. You know, or maybe you, you, you know, and I think just having that, like, and obviously that's not always the greatest thing to do, but, but there are oftentimes places where you can do that. And like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I would rather operate in that way. And that's hard because not everybody sees it that way. And sometimes you get your heart broken doing it that way, but no, I'd rather I get my heart broken trying to do that than, than just be like, you know, see it as like a combative, aggressive thing with everybody. And it totally proves that you're a fan of the artist first. Totally. 100%. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Sean. And thank you all for listening. The ebook that I talked about at the very beginning of this episode, you can find more about that at ebook.otherrecordlabels.com and use the coupon code OTHER. And thanks to Work Hard Playlist Hard for, for doing that. Find out more from 6131 Records by going to 6131records.com and uh, make sure you pick up uh, one of their records. That'd be great. Thanks for listening.